0: Father, we thank you for the invitation to come to your throne of grace to find mercy in the time of need. Oh, how we need you. God, you know our situation, you know our family situations that are broken. You know our loved ones who are struggling with, with physical illness. You know our financial situation. The struggles that we have. You know our loved ones who are far away from you. And God, in every situation, in every need, you're the answer. You have power to meet our needs and we bring them to your feet. Heal. Provide intersect protect save and rescue draw those who are far away from you to yourself break their hearts that they may hear your voice and surrender to you God God we pray for our church thank you for this wonderful church we call home for Calvary what a great gift it is. We pray that you keep us together, keep us united in prayer and in one heart, in one spirit, in one mission. now we pray for, for our students that you continue to work in them to make them disciple-makers. We pray, God, for our connecting point and the progress all the details, of decisions that have to be made so that soon we can have a place where, where newcomers, new families will come and, and know how much we love them, know how much you love them and, and have a place that is warm and welcoming and, and that you will use that as a place to bring glory to your name. God, meet every need that we have today, you can do that and even more receive the glory God for what you're going to do now speak to us for we listen it's in Jesus name that we pray amen amen thank you so much we'll continue to have this time uh, on Sundays and and we're uh, encouraging you to be praying one day out of the week in a special way in fact we had some uh embrace oneness commitment cards that invite you to make a commitment to prayer or to other things and i hope you receive one as you came in if you don't have one i'd like to ask ushers uh to to get one to you 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 can raise your hand if you don't have a commitment card and and we'll get some ushers to get one to you we we realized we had most of them left over last week so um that means a lot of you didn't get one so uh okay I see some hands up, and so ushers uh, up in the balcony, especially. So, uh, if we can, and and in the back over here. So, if we can get some ushers to get a response card uh, to our people, and right up here in the middle. So, um, uh, thank you for that. All right, Uh, uh, we've talked about embracing oneness, and, and the action steps that we talked about was praying and serving and giving. Uh, keep your hands up, the ushers are coming. There's some here in the middle, some in the balcony, and some in the very back, and middle over here. Thank you. Um, and, and we've been in this book of Ephesians, and uh, the first three chapters we said are, are doctrinal chapters. They talk about um, what, what it means to, to be in Christ, and then the last three chapters have to do with ethics. Uh, that means how we live, so uh, who we are in Christ and how we live. And so we're in that latter part of the book of Ephesians where uh, the author has given us bold applications, very practical applications. That's, that's the nature of the second half of the book of Ephesians, and we've looked at that. Today, specifically, we're talking about walking in newness. And so we're going to be looking at practical applications. It's, it's, it's going to get real in some ways. You're going to think that I'm just uh, meddling and stepping on toes, but I'm just going to be faithful to the text. Uh, and I hope that you can ask yourself, what are some of the things that God wants to do in my life? Uh, and, and how am I going to apply? What is the one way in which I'm going to take this home with me and apply it? So. Let's jump to our text in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17, Ephesians four seventeen, And it reads like this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. As Christ followers, we are called to walk in newness and that's what we're gonna talk about today. And the first thing that we can draw from our passage is that we need to get our mind rerouted. Our feet will follow where our mind is headed. Where our mind points, that's where our life is headed. So it's very important that our mind is set in the right direction, that, that you put the right GPS destination in your mind. You know what GPS does when whenever you're going in a certain direction and you take the wrong turn, it starts rerouting, right? And that's sometimes what we need to do in our lives. You're going in the wrong direction and you need to reroute your mind. You need to recalibrate uh, your mind to where you need to be going. The mindset, the Bible tells us, of those who do not know God leads them away from God. But we know God. We're children of God, and we cannot be walking in the same direction as they are. I don't know if you've ever been to a big airport, like the DFW airport, I've spent some time in that airport, and, I, and if you've ever been there, you know that you need to know where you're going before you get to the airport. You can't just tell your Uber driver, well, take me to the airport, because they're gonna say, what terminal? And then you, you, know, you might say, well, terminal B, and they're gonna say, well, what gate? Because it's so large. You need to know before you get there where you're heading. And then, once you get there, you'll notice that there are hundreds of people coming and going in all kinds of different directions. I like to people watch sometimes when when I have a connection and I have some time, and people are just in a hurry coming and going. Now, imagine if you lost your boarding pass and your battery died on your phone, so so you didn't know your gate, you didn't know your flight number. Uh, Imagine if you said, well, you know what? I'm just gonna follow the crowd. You, can you imagine what, what would happen? I mean, the crowd's going all over the place. You, you would end up in the wrong place. You, you cannot get to your destination by following the crowd because your, your destination depends on your identity and it, and it depends on where you're walking, where you're heading. So you, you need a boarding pass that has your name on it. That's who you are. You need a boarding pad that has your destination. And once you know your destination, then you know what gate to go to because that's the gate that's going to get you to your destination. And it is your identity in Christ, and it is your destination to a glorified, sanctified life that leads you to walk in the right direction here on earth. Now notice that the Gentiles are not going to the right place. Now the Gentiles here, it's not talking about non-Jews in the the strict technical sense. When it says Gentiles here, it's talking about those who do not know the true God. And it says that their their mind is set on the small things. That's what it means, the futility of their minds. Their mind is set on the small things because of their ignorance of God and because their minds, their understanding has been darkened. Notice the progression here. There is a progression here in this passage it's from ignorance to insensitivity to indulgence. Ignorance, they, they they have a darkened understanding. They don't know God, and, and their ignorance of God leads them to insensitivity. In other words, their hearts have become hardened in a way that, that they cannot sense the voice of the spirit, the direction of the spirit the voice of the gospel, their hearts are hardness, insensitivity, and it leads them then to indulgence in impurity and greed. So when you look at people without God, you say, I wonder why they do that? Well, they do that because that's a natural progression from ignorance to insensitivity to indulgence. That's the direction in which they are heading without God. But we know God. So we need to head in a different direction because we have a different destination. We've been called to a new way of life and that requires intentionality. It it requires for us to be fully engaged in this new way of living. We need to get our mind rerouted. We need to know who we are. We need to know where we're heading and then start walking in that direction. Look at verse 22 of our text as we continue to read. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are called to walk in newness. Now how do you do that? The Bible answers that question here. It says you get rid of your old self and you put on your new self now that sounds simple enough but it is an everyday process that that we're undergoing you you take off your old self and you put on your new self so let's talk about that first let's talk about getting rid of your old self uh it, it tells us here we need to put it off we need to throw it away i like eugene peterson's paraphrase uh ephesians 4 says since then we do not have the excuse of ignorance Everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It is rotten through and through. Get rid of it. Think of it as cleaning your closet from time to time. There are some of you that have stuff in your closet that just needs to go in the trash can. I, I'm, I'm just going to speak the truth. Some of you have th- things in your garage that you're thinking about what you might do and when you might use them. Look, just get the trash bag close to it and just start throwing that stuff away and we can anoint you with oil so that you can let go in the name of jesus of those things but but in our spiritual life we need to get rid of it you know if 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 someone uh that's been on a diet loses weight and and they they go down four or five sizes they don't want to keep wearing their old clothes they want to get rid of them because now they get, they get to wear new clothes. If a child grows in shoe sizes, he doesn't want to keep wearing his old tennis shoes. He, he, he wants new tennis shoes that, that fit his new reality. So what does the old self look like? What characterizes that way of life. Now, it's interesting because different church traditions have things that a list of, of things you shouldn't do, right? Some, some, depending on what tradition you're from, some traditions say, well, you can't smoke, you can't drink, and you can't dance, at least not with both feet, right? Or, or you can't gamble, you can't play cards, and you can't chew tobacco. Or if you chew tobacco, you can't spit, which that's pretty gross, right? How do you do that? Yeah. Or you can't celebrate halloween have christmas trees or have easter bunnies because that's pagan you know different traditions have different lists of things that you shouldn't do but rather than looking for what is my traditions list we should look at what is what the bible tells us that we should get rid of and so let's let's look at that in verses 25 through 31 uh, in ephesians 4 and it says Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that he may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. This list is a lot better than whatever your church tradition gives you. It, it's, it's the word of God it's the one that we need to pay attention to I've grouped these into six things that we need to get rid of and let me just mention them quickly the first one is falsehood verse 25 falsehood doesn't, become, doesn't belong in our lives anymore you know the devil is a liar and anyone who practices deceit is following the author of deceit so, so all followers of Jesus need to get rid of pretense we need to take off our mask, and be genuine. So get rid of falsehood. Secondly, rage. Anger is mentioned here. It says, in your anger do not sin. What does that mean? Anger is not a sin. God gets angry. He gets angry at sin. He gets angry at injustice. And so we can get angry like God. But what he's talking about here is rage. It's when we let anger go to the next step. It's when we act out of our anger. It says not letting the sun go down while we are angry. It means that at the end of the day, you make peace. That, that if, you, if you've been angry today, then before you go to bed, make peace. We don't let anger fester in our hearts overnight. The devil's looking for a foothold in your heart. He's looking for a a little opening so that he can come in and wreak havoc. And and when you let anger stay in your heart overnight, over days, over weeks, you've opened the door to the enemy to come in and destroy and and, and do things in your life. It's, It's like mayhem from Allstate Commercial. Mayhem is everywhere. So protect yourself. Get rid of anger. Three Cheating. Apparently, in verse 28, it tells us that maybe stealing was a way of life for these Gentiles in Ephesus. But Paul says, no, no you can't live that, that anymore. And you can't steal to make a living. Now, you have to work with your own hands. Uh, and there are, this applies to, to avert thieves. You can't steal anymore. But it goes beyond that. It, it, Paul is referring to dishonest gain. So, people who cheat the IRS people who cheat in their business, people who embezzle, people who cheat in government programs, people who try to get their kids in in very uh, elite schools by bribing somebody. All of those things, there's cheating. And it's not, it's the old way of life. It's not the new way of Jesus. Get rid of it. Number four, profanity, verse 29. And I don't mean necessarily a specific list of words that that should not be allowed in a Christian's vocabulary. Uh, where your teacher or your your little child says, language, right? I mean, there are some words that shouldn't be coming out of the mouth of a Christ follower, but but what we're pointing to here is not a, a legalistic sense of which words are in and which words are out. Paul talks about it as unwholesome talk. He admonishes the Ephesians to get rid of that. We need to get rid of words and conversations that are not wholesome. And we need to use our discernment to to figure that out. Do our conversations build people up or do they tear them down? Do my words encourage others or they discourage them? When I I walk into a room, are people lifted up or, or are they downcast because of the things I say? Get rid of unwholesome talk. Five, grieving the Holy Spirit. The old patterns of of thinking and living can grieve the Holy Spirit within us this, this week we had the opportunity to host uh, about eighteen pastors from uh, Indiana. They came to study the border situation and and to learn how to do ministry uh, along the border and We had an opportunity to share with them about that and, and While they were here, we tried to be the best host that we could be. We, we brought in the taquisa. we had ladies make tortillas in front of them and and uh, they had aguas frescas, you know, those Mexican-flavored drinks. And, and then they heard a mariachi, and they had a tour of, of the whole area. And we try to be the best host that we can be. I think that's what you try to do, right? When you host somebody, you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to feel happy. When we host somebody, we wouldn't think of making them unhappy. We wouldn't think of hosting somebody and and then making sure they have a miserable time, would we? And and, and we are hosts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in our lives 24 seven. He's our encourager, he's our companion. And he is completely overjoyed whenever we're walking in newness. But when we go back to the old way of living, He's grieved. His heart is broken. We're not being good hosts. We're grieving the Holy Spirit within us. In fact, I believe that sometimes there are Christians who don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives because they're constantly grieving the Holy Spirit. So get rid of whatever grieves the Holy Spirit within you. Then six, bitterness and malice. Bitterness is the result of unresolved issues in your life. It is like weeds growing in your flower beds. You can either take them out on a continual basis or you can let them grow. I, I have to go out to my flower beds occasionally and pull the weeds out because if I don't do that, they'll take over and they'll kill my beautiful plants. Bitterness is, is unbecoming for a child of God. It is unpleasant to others. What what aroma do you give to people around you? Is it spiritual vinegar? Or is it a fragrant aroma of the Spirit of God in you? Not only is bitterness unpleasant to others, it's bad for you. It leads to rage and anger, to brawling and slander. It eats you up from the inside out. And then, ultimately, bitterness leads to malice. Malice is that heart's intent to do wrong to someone. It is the motive behind an action to hurt someone. If you have even a little bit of joy when somebody else suffers, there's bitterness in your heart. Get rid of bitterness and malice. Getting rid of your old self includes getting rid of falsehood, rage, cheating, profanity, Grieving the Holy Spirit, bitterness and malice. And the question that that all of us need to ask ourselves today is which one of those do I need to let God work in this week? Which one of those do I really need the Holy Spirit to uproot from my life so that I can get rid of it? And then we put on the new self. The reason you throw away your old tennis shoes is because you got new ones. The reason some people struggle with change is because they work so hard on getting rid of the bad stuff in their lives and they never replace it with good stuff. Bad habits need to be replaced with good habits. Jesus said it in a very interesting way the spiritual principle of replacing the bad habits or the evil things in your life with good things. Look at what he says in Matthew 12 43 and 45. This is when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. You know, do you know people who struggle with addiction? I, I've dealt with people who struggle with addiction. I have people in my family who struggle with addiction. And, and one of the things that's interesting is that sometimes the harder they try to get rid of their addiction, the worse it gets. Because when your focus is mainly on getting rid of the bad stuff, and you don't never focus on what are you going to replace it with, then this is what happens. This is what Jesus says. Those bad habits just find a clean house and, and, and they move in with other bad habits or spirits, whatever you want to call them. And so we need to ask God to help us get rid of these old patterns in our life, but we need to ask him to help us replace them with patterns of the spirit. So here are six things I want to give you in the time I have left from the text. The first one is replace falsehood with honesty. Verse 25, we need to be people of truth. Speak the truth. Be honest in all your dealings. Be genuine. Be real. Get your honesty on. Secondly, generosity. Paul tells the Ephesians to stop stealing as a way to make a living, and he tells them to work with their own hands. But notice that he says that they should work in such a way that they would have enough to share with those in need. Did you get that? So here's the thing, in the new way of life, We work not only to meet our own needs and our family needs, but we work in order to be generous with others. Stealing and cheating are are despicable. Working to meet our own needs is just average. But the new life in Christ leads us to work, to meet our needs, and to be generous. Generosity with our finances is evidence of a transformed life. So get your generosity on. Thirdly, Nurture. The opposite of unwholesome talk is nurturing conversation. Our words should build others up. My wife is always checking on me when I'm sending texts. She says, You're being mean again. And sometimes I have to edit my texts. Be sensitive to where people are and let your words be nurturing. Eugene Peterson says, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth say only what helps each word a gift so get your nurturing talk on fourth kindness and compassion you know it's interesting that we asked to we are asked to rate restaurants and hotels and places of service and part of the way that we rate them is their kindness how well did they treat us were they nice to us or did they say hello? Did they, did they ask how we were doing? Did they take a personal interest in us? And so here we're rating. And people, are, you know, I don't know if people ever tell you, hey, you're going to get a survey. Make sure you put five stars, right? They tell you what to rate them, right? And I wonder sometimes if God were to send a survey to the people that are around me, how would they rate me on kindness and compassion? How are we doing with that, compassion requires empathy. That means that when you're dealing with other people, you need to put yourself in their place, just for a moment. Just take, take a moment to be in their shoes and to feel a little bit of what they might be feeling. That's where compassion comes from. It is a, 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 an empathy, it is a being with, a suffering with, a, a feeling with, somebody and that's what Jesus did for us he came to where we were he met us at our point of need and and loved us from that spot so get your kindness and compassion on and then five forgiveness those of us who've experienced God's forgiveness should be known by our forgiveness of others shouldn't we not only did God forgive us when we first came to him but he keeps forgiving us all the time amen Forgiveness should be natural. You know, there's a controversy recently in in Dallas about uh, a a lady, uh, a police woman, who thought she was going into her apartment, but was going actually into someone else's apartment, and she thought it was an intruder, and she shot him and killed him. She happened to be Anglo, and the person in that house was African American, and, uh, and he was a great guy. He was a worship leader at his church. And so there's this whole controversy that, that is going on about her trial and, and racism and, and this conflict between uh, the police and, and other things. And, and, and as the whole trial was going on, social media was just blowing up with everybody's opinion. But, but one of the things that, that was really interesting after the sentencing part of the trial is that Brant Jean, the brother of the guy who was killed took time to go give this woman who was on her way to jail a hug and to say that he forgave her. And then he told her, the thing that my brother, the guy she killed, the thing that my brother would have liked most for you is that you would come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And people got angry at that because they said, well, that's undoing justice, and, 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 and you know, people are just, people on social media are just angry, and they want to stay angry, but you know what? We believe in law and order, and we believe in justice. Those things have their place, but forgiveness ought to be characteristic of a Christian. That doesn't mean you don't do justice. That doesn't mean you don't do law and order. It just means that your heart releases the other person, and you forgive them. So get your forgiveness on. And then six: Christ-like love. All these things that we talked about can be summarized with Christ-like love. All of them are expressions of love. If you try to get this list as a checklist and you say, "I'm just going to try hard to do these things, and you don't have love, you're going to have a heck of a time. It, it, it's just going to wear you out, and it's going to be in vain. Because without love, it's just like a, like a noisy symbol, like a, like a meaningless noise. It is in the love of God that we have the power to do these things. I'll quote again from the message, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, says, Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you, Keep company with him and, and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Put your Christ love on. The Bible tells us there are six characteristics of the new self that we should put on. Honesty, generosity nurture, kindness and compassion, forgiveness, and Christ-like love. Now, remember that we don't do that in our own strength. It's not a religious checklist. It is the Holy Spirit giving you conviction and saying, look, this part of your heart is not right. There's something here I want to get rid of. And, and your part in that is not, well, let me try hard to do it. Your part in that is say, okay, Holy Spirit, I release it to you. Help me get rid of it. Or or if the Holy Spirit is saying, look, here's something that I want you to put on. You're having problems with this area of forgiveness. You're having problems with with this area of generosity. And and, and what you do is not, oh, well, let me try harder. What you do is, okay, Holy Spirit, I release it to you so that you can do the work. So, So what we do in surrendering to him is identify the things that he is pointing to us in our heart. And as you do that, he begins to change you from the inside out. So the question is, which of these do you need God to work on this week? C.S. Lewis once said, if conversion makes no improvements in a man's outward actions, then I think his conversion was largely, largely imaginary. We don't get saved because of our good behavior, but our salvation calls us to a new way of living. God gives us the power to walk in newness. So what does that mean to you today? What is God calling you to do? Is he calling you to trust him as Savior and Lord? Maybe you've never done that. Maybe today you need to say, well, I want to walk in that newness. I have no idea what that's like, but, but I want that newness, and, and I want to live my old way of life. Well, the way you do that is by trusting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You surrender your life to him. It's, it's a step of faith. And then he becomes your Lord, your King, and, and he leads you, he changes you from the inside out. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe, maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and what you need to do today is to identify an area that you need to let him work on to get rid of something. One of the six things we mentioned or to put on something from the new self, to help you get rid of the old self and put on more of the new self. Maybe he's asking you to join us in this effort of prayer in October and to intensify, to, to choose a day of the week that you're really going to be knocking on heaven's door on behalf of others. What is it that God is calling you to do? You can mark it in your response card You can mark it in your sermon notes, you can just say it to God where you are. You can make a commitment in your seat or you can come to the front and kneel down here asking God to do the work in your life. This is a time of response. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that inspired your word that convicts our heart and that also is the agent of change in our lives we trust him I trust him right now I know the areas in my life that you need to work on and I I release those to you I surrender them to you God get rid of the old self in me and help me put on the new self that I may walk in newness. God, would you do it in each of our lives here today as we trust you? If there's someone here who's never met you, who's never experienced the new life, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, who has not been forgiven, that today would be the day of salvation. Draw them to you, God bring them into your kingdom. God, whatever you're calling us to do, help us to do it in the power of your spirit.